I want to start this episode by quoting my guest for today. He said, be accepting and forgiving of yourself. There are times you're just going to get it wrong. You just have to keep trying and stay committed. Hello everyone and welcome to the Resilient Journey podcast sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host Mark Hoffman and today we wrap up an important and deeply personal conversation with Luke Bird on the topic of mental health and personal resilience. Luke is a global award-winning continuity and resilience professional and global board director for the BCI. He's also someone who recently experienced a mental health crisis after the sudden and unexpected loss of a sibling. This is part two where Luke describes his recovery process and the importance of doing the work required to get better. We'll get into part two of this incredible conversation with Luke Bird after we hear this from Clear Risk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Luke, welcome back to the podcast to um, sort of summarize where we are. You are very graciously uh, walking us through uh, the story of the past six months for you, where you very unexpectedly uh, had one of your siblings pass and the the struggles from an emotional uh, mental health standpoint that you went through. And I don't want to revisit that here because I don't want to waste the real estate, uh, if you'll pardon me saying it that way, with that, because if folks want those details, I would encourage them to listen to the first episode in this series. So anyhow, thank you uh, again for doing this and welcome back. Thanks very much, Mark. Delighted to be here as before. So coming out of the mental health struggles, and I don't want to gloss over this part, but probably one of the biggest things that you did was you sought help. And, and I congratulate you for that. But you went to therapy and you told me that therapy was harder than you expected it to be. How so? Oh, wow. Yeah, this was, <laughs> it sounds so stupid to say out loud. Uh, and I had no idea having never experienced therapy before that it I kind of I kind of felt like it would be just like the movies right I thought I'd lie on a couch I thought I'd talk about my childhood and then the the, the shrink would say something profound and then I'd walk out feeling better and that would be the end of it totally not the case at all therapy in my experience of therapy at least it was about difficult conversations about difficult and uncomfortable thoughts and in a very unusual and vulnerable time for me it was for those that haven't gone through therapy I've tried to explain it to them what it was actually like and I compare it to kind of going to a gym mm. I was like if, if I do high intensity workouts three times a week for three months and then I do absolutely nothing for three months after that could I go back to the gym and still work at the level that I did at the end of the first three months like, absolutely not. I was like, mental health takes so much hard work and commitment to maintain as, as well as it does from a physical standpoint. 
it's um that was something that really was lost on me at the very beginning you really if you want to get the best out of your experience with therapy you really have to put a shift in and you really have to work through some difficult situations and conversations and just like the gym i came away from the experience every time like exhausted like before the sessions i i mean afterwards i'd feel so tired after all the sharing and then before the sessions i had this sort of heart was racing i felt anxious about it because i didn't know what i was going to uncover or talk about it's just um, not the image i painted in my head before i started because when i started it i was all in to try and help fix what was going on with me at the time and it was way more difficult than i imagined but you don't say that to discourage people from going for therapy you just want people to go in with their eyes wide open to understand what they're walking into Absolutely, a one hundred percent. Because I found that I've had conversations who with people that have sought help in a similar way to myself since experiencing this, and some people have shared that they felt like the therapy did nothing for them. And then when they go on to describe it, it's really it goes back to what I said at the at the beginning of the, the question. I think deep down they might have thought like I did that the therapist is going to wave a magic wand and everything's going to be fine. If you go in open-eyed, knowing that you have to put a shift in, and actually the therapist, in my opinion, appeared more like a a facilitator of your own counselling in your way. And that really, that as soon as I figured out that, I started to see just how much work was involved. And if you, if you, you know, if you want to, you want to get better, you, you, like I say, you have to put a shift in. Now, I want to explicitly call out something that you said when we spoke before, and I think it's potentially the most important thing that you've ever mentioned. And you have a lot of nuggets in here, but I really want to call this one out. You said that you needed to, and I'm going to quote you here, find the strength to be weak. I have to tell you, that's one of the most profound things I have ever heard. I love the sentiment of what you're saying here. Walk me through what you mean and what that was like. Yeah, I I get what you I I hear what you're saying about the sentiment. I doesn't quite when I was typing at pace. I don't I don't like the word weak, uh, but for want of a, a a better a better word, but I'll come back to that another time. But yeah, I absolutely it's it seems so obvious now, but so profound to me at the time that I discovered that in order to be vulnerable, to be to be weak, as I've I've used, even if it's not the the word I'd like to use. I actually had to find some serious strength uh, to get through it. So, so much strength, in fact. For example, number one, strength to acknowledge what I perceived as a weakness in front of the people that meant the most to me. Um, so your family, your friends, you know, and then going into your work colleagues and, and also myself, accepting that something wasn't right and you weren't at your A game. Um, and this was a, this was a difficult moment. You know, it's something I'd never done before. And a lot of people around me, they sort of have a certain perspective of me and they expect they would never expect me to come forward. And like some people who know me may listen to this podcast and have no idea that this is the kind of thing that I could go through. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing it. But having to admit that, having the strength to do that, it took strength and courage to do that. And that was one. Another one was... So, and this is the this is another big one. It's the strength to let go of my responsibilities um, from a professional perspective. Like you take you you step away from work and 
you kind of watch or you relinquish all your responsibilities and you see them drift away to other people and with it your perceived performance review in year-end comp and things like that you, yep. and it's they say no that's not the case but you can't help but look at it and think well that's me tapped out now so I'm going to be reviewed as such uh, and then at home as a father not being able to be fully present for my children and and let go of my some of my responsibilities there whilst I focused very briefly on on me and, and getting better so I could be the best dad I could be and then also thirdly the strength to deal with whatever was like happening to me head on at the time I really dived into the recovery pathway which you know I've known people that's taken years um, I've had family members that it's taken um, six or seven years to get to the point I got to in a matter of days because there's an acceptance element of it and it takes it does take strength and courage to to deal with head-on you can choose to ignore it so not only like the admin behind seeking help because it you know insurance and health practitioners and getting into people's diaries and you know the admin alone is challenging but doing it in a in that space and ex- accepting that you have to do it it takes it does take strength when you're at a you know an all-time low and then on top of that fourth and final one was the strength to handle the the difficult thoughts and conversations in therapy to work through various issues so you might have ne- it might be something that you've never wanted to speak about or even worse it might be something that you never even knew you had to you you had to thought about or realize until that conversation and accepting some truths that can take some serious strength as well. And that time after time for each of the sessions and throughout, throughout my own experience, it felt, I kept fit, saying to myself, oh, wow, this is so incredibly hard. I, I really need to push on to get better, but I just need to be so strong to get through this. And then I thought after that, that's so strange that the, it just seems so strange to me that to focus on a, a vulnerability, a perceived weakness, an area that you need to address, you have to find such strength and courage to do that. And it's changed a lot of my perspective on people that are going through these things because, uh, you know, I can, I feel like now I can, re- I can relate to that much better. But yeah, strength to be weak, I guess. We've been talking a lot lately about being allies for people in the industry. And, you know, here's another perfect example of being an ally, standing along someone to offer support when they go through uh, a difficult time, uh, even without knowing all of the details, but just caring enough about your colleagues to be able to say, I'm here if you need anything. I I hadn't planned on asking this, but does something come to mind of something supportive that someone said to you that really helped you as you were going through this? I found that it wasn't a specific piece of um, like a conversation as such. In this situation, actions spoke louder than words. And one of the nicest, most immediate things that came out of the, this, the aftermath of my initial experience was it was remarkable. The people and friends that I generated over years, the ones that came out of nowhere and sort of, you know, took took me out for dinner and mm. just was there didn't talk about anything in particular was just just showed me that I was cared for and heard and known and gave me that space that psychological space actions definitely spoke louder than words Be, being present you can't kind of 
force someone, people will react in different ways. But if you make yourself available, and I hope by doing this in, in a sort of kind of backward way, I'm making myself available by sharing with you and, and those that will listen that people believe that there's there's many of us out there and I would certainly be available to, to those people that felt that they was they were struggling in a similar way. Luke, did you have to give yourself permission? Did you ever make a conscious decision where you said, no, I'm giving myself permission to seek this help? Yeah, uh, you, there's, a, there's definitely a decision point for me, at least. I don't know about anyone else, but there was a decision point where it's kind of like you're standing on the edge of this new thing that you've never gone through before and you're scared and you have to go, right, we are going to go into this dark space and we don't know how we're going to react into it. And it was um, giving yourself permission to take that first step is, is really is really crucial because, as I say, I'm aware of people who have chosen to point their focus and attention to other spaces in their life and perhaps avoid taking that step at all uh, and just sort of perhaps repress it. And then eventually it, it all comes to a head. So, yeah, you, I definitely there was a decision point very early on to take the first step. And I've moved very, very fast in my own experience. Um, I can't tell you why. It was just instinctive. I know for me in times of my life when I've experienced loss, I coped by writing. It's just something that worked for me. I found it therapeutic to write out my own feelings. Now, you talked about building a response plan, kind of leaning on your professional life to deal with the emotional break and to help you work through the experience. Uh, Why this approach? Well, firstly, uh, I... I completely and utterly agree with with writing. It's totally my my outlet. I think generally I I must have written I've lost count tens of thousands of words in the continuity resilience space now uh, across mm-hmm. various different things. I just I just love doing it anyway. It's one of my outlets. So you're right. Many people see journaling and things like that. It kind of helps you decompress. I I kind of um, describe my mental health now as a sort of as a series of sort of almost like pressure uh, pressure gas pipes and valves so it's like each of the valves represent what i can call like decompression zones so my blogging my running my time with my family my speaking to my folks back home or or even commuting into work like those are different valves that i can turn on and off and each and every one of them gets pulled at different times, but it helps to the collective decompression of what's going on. But writing is definitely uh, one of them. So my own experience, I found that writing about what I was experiencing right from the moment it started to occur, kind of it fell into, it gave me a bit of structure as I continued to write. And as I continued to write, it started to look more and more like a, like a crisis management plan, you know, we deal with them day to day. We've seen a thousand of them. I was right. like, hey, this, look, this looks familiar. And then it might have been because I'd been writing them for years or it's just pure coincidence. But I don't know. Either way, it occurred to me that I was essentially writing a plan. And that, that's how I ended up. But yeah, writing was definitely an outlet. And you said it was a three-step approach to your plan. So walk us through the steps. Yeah. So I ended up structuring my writing um, as I went through my own recovery pathway, like like any plan that we would write, uh, you know, a, a typical structure, it's it came with its challenges, 
uh, when it came to using it in anger, and I'll touch on that in a bit. But I remember getting really upbeat at the time very early on that just having that structure to help me through some stuff. But later on, I reflected that, you know, at, at each stage came with the limitations, as I say. So just like most of the plans that we develop. Right. Different, yeah, it is what it is. So, so step one. So the therapy showed me that emotional reactions are, are often triggered. Uh, your behaviors are triggered. So I wanted to try and identify what those triggers were. So the idea behind it was much like a response plan. If I had early warning indicators, I could act more quickly to manage it or fix it in any way. That was my first, you know, what are they? I thought it was important that I had to have those triggers documented because if you if you can't clearly document what those early warning indicators are, then how are you supposed to identify them when they happen? Um, and, and, and more importantly, how that, that won't enable you to sort of respond to them accordingly. So I wanted to get those things documented so I could see them. What, what, what begins the start of that feeling? Is there anything that makes, that brings me into that feeling in any way? And then number two, standard practice with developing a response plan, I needed to develop strategies for dealing with it. So, you know, those early warning indicators, if they manifested themselves or even worse, took over. So things like coping mechanisms and relaxation techniques. I guess the idea was if I could clearly see the behavior emerging, I could I could deal with it head on in a, in a more managed way. And then finally, the third step overarches the other two. So it's... It covers a lot of what the industry touched on at the moment when we, we see lots of webinars and podcasts talking about personal resilience, but it mostly talks about that hierarchy of needs, the ongoing self-care, being kind to yourself, stuff like diet, exercise, relaxation time, you know, relationships, meditation, you name it. The, the, that self-care overarching the ability to identify the emotions um, and to be able to re- react to them accordingly started the basis of a plan for me um but as i say those steps were they're very easy very clean um as i say easy to understand they provided me structure and at the beginning of my journey that structure was a big part of my recovery pathway because it's interesting i've always felt that with business continuity plans when you know when something bad has gone hap- has happened i've always stood by the belief that you structure those plans in such a way and you rehearse them in such a way that you give the senior manager an extra half a second because they've had that structure and they feel that confidence in knowledge that they then, that, inf- that gives them the thing that they do best, which is their decision-making and their decision-making process. It just gives them that half a second to, to breathe and then they can re- respond better. If they're blindsided without any structure, leadership can sometimes make some pretty awful decisions can't they so i think these triggers like i say it's got its limitations right it's hard to articulate for the triggers for example it's hard to articulate what those emerging feelings are because you know people articulate in different ways mm-hmm. I, I had to use visual references in my head so i was like this feeling makes me feel like this scenario in my head that's how it worked for me and and that was a that was a big enough achievement for me to get to that point but then knowing how to deal with that emerging feeling the rapid onset of that emotion 
is you get very little time to react and you you know i failed a lot of times in doing that and similarly with the setting of strategies it, it comes with so many challenges as well like the setting of boundaries you know you put pens to pay, pen to paper and you're like right this happens we're going to do x um and you think it'll be fine and it'll help your mental health but the moment you come to implement them it's not that straightforward and it as i say comes with challenges and then lastly and this is the this is the one that most people can probably relate to i imagine I think most most people will look at it um, from the self-care point of view, the personal resilience. It's all nice to read and we all agree with it. But as a father of two young children, I recently heard of like a fellow parent say not too long ago that they had to make a decision between whether they made a piece of toast or had a shower before work, but not both. You know, so promoting self-care is one thing, but actually factoring it into your real life. Is, is another so every single one of those steps comes with so many limitations but yeah to go back to the original question i applied a three-step process on early warning indicators uh, recovery strategies and self-care to try and help me through the initial stages for me but it's not a perfect practice now you said something else that i thought was massively critical and you were talking about as you were working through uh, your therapy and as you were uh, building your recovery, you mentioned the difference uh, in the difficulty between setting boundaries and living boundaries. And you said at times you felt like you were letting yourself down by setting those boundaries. So talk about the difference between those two things and why you felt like you were letting yourself down. Yeah. Um, well, one, because I think like most people, you can some you're your own biggest critic so you can be everyone's hard on themselves right but this mark this is one of the biggest challenges for me in my my journey to be honest because you think okay right i've gone through everything i know what the situation is let's set some strategies out there if i don't speak to x about y if i spend less time doing z then you know that'll all make me feel better but the the reality was the moment i I tried, it seemed to have a knock-on effect with other parts of my life. There's so relationships and my behaviors, which I'd never had before and were not natural to me at the time, that actually ended up offending some of the people in my circle. Um, and that was that was upsetting as well. And then similarly, I noticed that by canceling one part, thinking, all oh, right, I'll stop doing that, I didn't realize that that particular thing was actually helping me, but in a different way, it's highly complex. Uh, if you, you can't, it's not as straightforward as just setting down boundaries because those boundaries are fluid and they're double-sided in some, in some cases. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I, I regularly beat myself up trying to, to meet any of the boundaries um, on a regular basis. I think that when I spoke to my therapist, I think the, the end decision was that one well, at the end point of this conversation was I set the bar too high that I couldn't really, I thought I could achieve the new behaviors and mindset right from the off. Kind of like going to the gym and thinking you'll get a six pack in like the after an hour's on the treadmill. I've been playing golf for a month. How come, I, <laughs> how come I'm still not shooting well? Yeah, exactly. So it took me some time. It's taken me a long time, actually, across the, the last six months to accept. And a lot of this is it boils down to acceptance. Acceptance and forgiveness is is key for a lot of this stuff. For you, forgiving yourself, accepting what's in front of you. 
but I had to accept the mountain that I had to climb in this space to to any form of boundaries and the realities of how well you could live up to them. Um, being real about that is is another difficult conversation, but it was worthwhile. Luke, for, forgiving yourself for struggling? Yeah, forgiving yourself for struggling to fix it. If you're an idealist, like kind of like me, you kind of think that, right, I've got a plan. I'll, I'll run at it this way. And if it doesn't work, you're kind of down on yourself a little bit, give yourself a hard time. And um, you have to be totally prepared to be accepting and forgiving of the fact that you are going to get it wrong. And you don't have to be perfect at this. You just, you just have to keep trying and be consistent. And that came to me probably later than it probably should have, given how fast I was moving in my recovery. Now, I know that you have three main points that you want to drive home about mental health, uh, particularly in the industry. Sir, the floor is yours. Tell us what you think these three main points are. Okay, so I've, I've covered my pitch in episode one. I've talked about some of the ways I've approached it. Um, so I just want to kind of get across. I'll be very quick in this bit because I feel that everyone kind of hopefully by now gets gets the message I'm trying to put across. But for me, it's really simple. And in my position, in my, I'm actually in my final year of my term on the board, and which has been heavily focused on responding to COVID. Um, I really want to try and facilitate more attention to this space um, beyond the personal resilience element, because um, some may disagree, but I don't think that alone addresses what we've discussed today. It's, it's not a badge of honor of just getting on with it, if, even when you're breaking down inside. I don't care how career limiting it might appear for even for me to share this. I feel that strongly that the conversation needs to grow and I'm going to do everything I can over the coming year to facilitate that. To achieve that, I'm going to need people in the community to share their experiences and recovery pathways as well. Now, I've got to find channels to achieve that um, either inside the BCI or outside. It could be anonymous. It could be open, like, you know, if you if you want to try this approach um, or you can contribute as part of group share. I know the guys and girls that are involved in the emotional impact assessment report was like 300-ish individuals that contributed to that to share their levels of um, anxiety and stress in that space. You know, there's ways that we can do this to share amongst our community. I think it needs a home in our professional community. I know I've seen anecdotal stories during podcasts and webinars where people have shared similar things to me, perhaps not as in depth as what we've done now. I believe as a community, uh, we need to centralize this discussion so that people can almost have a one-stop shop to see tales of the trenches, to see people's recovery pathways. Uh, so they find things that are relatable uh, and, and, and can, give, can help give them the strength they need to recover. And finally, I suppose that I, I kind of hope people can relate to me trying to define my own response via this planning approach and how, how and why, based on my experience, that I tried to approach it in that way. But also, it's way more complicated than that. And, um, you know, people may find that initial structure useful, but, you know, it comes with a health warning. So, yeah, really, the three points are, we need to talk more about this and I'm putting myself at the front of it because I went through something personal and I'm trying to take a, a good opportunity out of what was a very difficult experience for me. And I want to achieve that by facilitating the conversation as best I can with the platform that I have um, using my own experience. And that's really 
that's that that's really what i want to get across today so let's say someone's listening and they would like to participate in that with you what's the best way for people to get in touch is it through linkedin or right now from a communications point of view i'm on um my new website which is still in development but my comms are all on there so my my twitter handle my linkedin etc is on it's www.resiliencerewire.co.uk and my mail's on there um what i'm looking for is i've already had this actually from initial conversations but i've had people come forward to say that they want to host panel sessions with me that they they want to do joint papers with me i'm going to look to develop through the BCI a, a channel, something compared to the success that has occurred with women in resilience and yep. the work that the likes of, of, of Rena and, and Gianna and people like that have, uh, have, have put such a terrific amount of effort into supporting that channel. I don't think I, I alone I, I can achieve that, but I would like to sort of be in a similar swim lane to that. Um, and I will be starting this initially via um, an article that I'll publish about everything that we've kind of discussed today in more detail um, via the BCI uh, to get the ball rolling with that. Because not everybody, just to finish, Mark, not everybody knows exactly the steps you would take to seeking that help. So the things that I described and how quickly I did, we didn't go into the detail of the admin required to do that. So many people may be feeling a certain way and thinking how on earth do i do i even start and that's what i'm planning to do recovery pathways and and that's a great legacy um luke thank you for your courage and your openness and your willingness to share this story and your pathway to recovery um thanks for being a guest i appreciate it thank you cheers mark thanks for your time i really appreciate it A very special, heartfelt thanks to my guest for the past two episodes, Luke Bird. Luke just openly shared his struggles with mental health in the hopes that it might help someone else who is struggling. When I started this podcast, I wanted to speak with industry leaders and explore interesting topics. Never did I expect to discuss anything this important. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health issues, please talk to someone take that first step and seek help. I want to thank ClearRisk for giving me this platform. And speaking of platforms, you can learn more about theirs at clearrisk.com.